0: There's nothing new under the sun. Solomon said that, of course, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. But we live in a time where there is so much that appears to be new. Sometimes that statement is a little hard to believe. And not only that, the air we breathe is filled with the claim that newer is better. And so many of us have such uh, you know, short-term memories. We, we don't really remember many of the things or, or know many of the things that came before us. And so because we don't know a lot of what came before and because we are constantly being told that what is newer is better, if we can be persuaded that an idea is new... We're more likely to believe it. We're more likely to accept it. Just like, typically, you don't question whether the latest smartphone is better than the one that came out last year. You just assume that it is, right? In the same way, ideas that are presented to us, if they're presented as new, we tend to receive them as better than the older ones. So, let me ask you this. What have you been led to believe about the doctrine of creation as taught in the Bible, versus the Big Bang Theory, that's propounded by science. Which one of those is old, and which one of those is new? Well, most of us would assume the doctrine taught in the Bible, the doctrine of creation, is old, and that the Big Bang Theory is new, and therefore more likely to be right, more likely to be true, more likely to be believed. So what then do we do with this? One of my favorite theological books, it's not very long, it was written about 1700 years ago by a man named Athanasius. He lived about 300 years after Jesus, and he was a great teacher, great theologian, and in the beginning of his book, he starts, before he gets to the the birth of Christ, the Incarnation, he starts with creation how the world came into existence. And here's what he says. Bear in mind, this was written 1,700 years ago about. He says, The making of the world and the creation of all things have been taken differently by many, and each has propounded as each wished. Some say that all things have come into being spontaneously and as by chance, such as the Epicureans who according to themselves fantasize that there is no providence over the universe speaking in the face of clear and apparent facts. So Athanasius says 1,700 years ago at least there was a group of people who believed that the universe came into existence spontaneously by chance, which is what the Big Bang Theory is, right? Right? That's that's not a new scientific theory. That is an old philosophical opinion. It's an old idea about how the world came into existence. And by the way, just as a side note, Epicurus, who is the founder of Epicureanism, he believed that the universe was made up of teeny tiny particles that he called atoms. Turns out he was right. Right? And so was Solomon. There's nothing new under the sun. The real question is not whether something is old or whether it's new, but whether it is true. Now those of us who are Christians, we believe that the Bible is true in all that it affirms, including what it says about creation. That, is, that does not mean that all Christians agree about how to interpret and explain all the details the Bible gives us about creation. But it does mean that all Christians affirm what the Bible says in the very first line of the book when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The goal of this series where we are following the Apostles' Creed to focus on the major doctrines taught by the Bible that all Christians agree on, the kinds of things Paul mentions in Ephesians 4 when he says that for us there is, there is one body, there's one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, those things that unite us, those things that we all agree on, those things that Jude called the faith once for all, delivered to the saints, that body of doctrines that Christians believe and unite around and contend for when necessary, since that is our focus in this series. I'm not going to get into this morning whether or not the six days in creation Described for us in Genesis chapter 1. Whether those are six literal 24 hour periods, whether those represent longer periods of time, whether there's a gap between Genesis 1 1 and Genesis 1 2, and all the other things that Christians have uh, debated and wrestled with over the years as they've sought to explain the details of the doctrine of creation. Those things matter, they are important, but they are not the most important. They don't rise to the level of the core doctrine, again, that all Christians agree on, which is that God created the heavens and the earth, and he created it by his word. We can all agree on that if we're Christians, even if we disagree on how to understand and explain some of the details. So what we're going to focus on this morning is that simple fact that God created by His Word and how that differs from what some uh, others believe and what difference that makes for us. And, And I just want to say at the beginning... Right? That if you just say, they're, they're, to, to oversimplify a little bit, there are basically two groups of people who listen to Christians when we talk about things that we believe. There are people who share our beliefs and people who don't share our beliefs. Right. Amongst those who share our beliefs, we can talk about some of the details and well, how do you understand this and how do we explain that how do we interpret that passage. But when we're talking to people who don't share our beliefs, all you have to do is say, I believe God created the heavens and the earth by speaking it into existence. And you're already radical enough. You don't have to argue that the universe is six to 10,000 years old. You don't have to argue that the creation took place in six 24-hour periods. By the way, I believe there are good biblical arguments for both of those positions. I believe you can make sound arguments for those. But even without getting into those details, if you just say to the listening world, I believe God created everything we see. They're already going to think, wow, you really believe that? Most people don't believe that. Well, a lot of people don't believe that. So, what is it that we believe, that we are saying, that we are communicating, that we are confessing, when we say that we believe there's one God, right, and that he created the heavens and the earth? Well we're obviously saying that there is one creator and that everything else is creation. There are two kinds of things in the universe. Things that were created and something or someone who wasn't. That's why that first line in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, is so important. In fact, one scholar recently called Genesis 1-1, the most powerful and dramatic opening sentence of any piece of writing in the history of world literature. It's the most explosive first line of anything that's ever been written, is what he's saying. Why is it so explosive? Why is it so significant? Why is that sentence so powerful? Again, because it is telling us That everything we see came into existence from someone we can't see. And that he made it all, and that he made it by himself, that he made it without any help, and that that makes him different from everything and everyone else. When it says that he created the heavens and the earth, that's just a way of saying he created everything. Just like we say, if we say we're doing something day and night, we don't necessarily mean we're doing it every single minute, but we mean we're mean we doing it all the time. Day and night represents all the time that we have. I'm doing this day and night, I'm doing it all the time. God created the heavens and the earth, what is it that is a part of creation? Well, there's the earth, right? and then there's the heavens, and that, that's it, that covers everything. God created the heavens and the earth. And then later in Genesis 1, we're given the the details of how then he created the light and separated the waters and separated the dry land from the seas and created plants and animals and sea creatures and birds and then finally created mankind, created the first man and the first woman. But that opening line tells us, Really everything we need to know in the big picture, which is that God created everything. And because God created everything, that means everything is God's, including you and me. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. That's us. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. He's the one who created it, established it, founded it, spoke it into existence, and so all of it is his. And we are his. We belong to him. And we owe him something because he created us. But one of the chief concerns of the Bible is to... Make sure we don't live in denial of Genesis 1-1. And that is why there is so much time spent, especially in the Old Testament, but it's there in the New Testament too, more often than you might expect. The Bible consistently warns us against idolatry. And the reason why the Bible so frequently warns us against idolatry is because idolatry is a rejection of the very first verse of the Bible. Because when someone commits idolatry, when someone makes an idol out of something, they are treating a created thing as though it is the creator. They are are treating something made as though... It's the one that made everything. They're treating treating part of God's creation as though it deserves the honor that belongs only to the Creator. Here's how Paul put it in Romans chapter 1. He says, For although they knew God, talking about humanity in general, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So idolatry at its heart is taking a created thing which by definition is not ultimate, not worthy of ultimate devotion, allegiance, etc, right? taking something that's not ultimate and treating it as though it is ultimate, treating it as though it is God, treating it as though it is the, the highest thing. And so we tend to think of idolatry as something you know ancient and you know, from way, way back in the past when people, we think, didn't know as much as we do and things like that, which is not even true anyway. But that's we think of idolatry as something from the dark past or something that still exists in dark, primitive places, so to speak. And it's not true. It's not true. Because you can make an idol out of anything. Anything that's not God can be made an idol. A person, a possession, money, a goal, an ambition, anything. In the New Testament it says that covetousness is idolatry. You want something so bad, you insist that you have to have it, you're making that thing a god. You can make a god out of all kinds of things. Anything that you put in first place in your heart and your life is by definition an idol. And no matter what that thing is, if it's not God, it's a created thing. Which means, again, you are denying the distinction spelled out for us in Genesis 1.1 that there's God and then there's everything that God made. The heavens and the earth. All of us are guilty there, by the way. It's something all of us have to turn from. All of us have to fight against that temptation. And part of how we do that is by remembering the basic truth that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, how did he do that? How did God create the heavens and the earth? The the first verse doesn't tell us. Genesis 1-1 doesn't tell us how God created the heavens and the earth. It just tells us that he did. But beginning in verse 3 we get more explanation of how God went about creating the things that we see, creating the light, separating the land from the water, and so on. And we're told that he did it by his word. Over and over, at least eight times in Genesis 1, it says, God said, and then there's something like, let there be light in verse 3. And then we're told, and it was so. It happened. What God said, what God spoke, happened. That's how he created. And the rest of the Bible reflects on this as well. For example, in Psalm 33, we're told, we're reminded, not only that God created by his word, but also told how we should respond to that truth. What What difference does it make to us that God created By speaking, by his word. Here's what Psalm 33 says. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. That psalm says that we should fear the Lord, that we should be in awe of Him, and the reason why we should be in awe of this God is because all He had to do was speak, and planets, stars, people, everything we see came into existence. We struggle to make things, some of us anyway, some of you are really good at this, but some of us struggle just to make things out of things that already exist with our hands. And we can't even do that very well. God had nothing, needed nothing, simply spoke, and there was. What is the right response to a God like that? The psalm says, awe, wonder, Amazement. Paul says in Romans 1, thanks, honor. Things we tend to give to other things in place of God, we should give to God because he's the reason why those things are here. It's okay to be in awe also of some of the things that God made. As long as the awe we have over the things that God made then lead us to greater awe toward God who made those things. I mean, there, some of the animals, let's just say as an example, some of the animals that God made, put you in awe if you watch them. See what they do. Sometimes, sometimes just to look at them. Some of them look like things out of, you know, science fiction novels or something, but God made them. It's okay to be in all of those things as long as we don't, as long as the awe doesn't terminate on them, as long as the awe over what God made then leads to awe for God Himself as the Maker. So God created through his word by speaking, but that's not the only thing God, uh, the Bible says about God creating by his word. In the Gospel of John, John the Apostle intentionally calls to our minds Genesis 1-1. With the opening line of his gospel, he says, in the beginning. And immediately he wants us to be thinking, okay, that sounds like Genesis. The first line of John's book sounds like the first line of the first book of the Bible. In the beginning, he says, was the Word. That's interesting, because God in the beginning created by words, right? By speaking. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John says. He was in the beginning with God. And then he says, all things were made through him, and without him was not made, or should be and without him was not anything made that was made. So, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and this Word was with God. This Word was God. This Word, all things were made through him. Nothing was made apart from him, which means this Word was not made. Right? This Word is God. This Word is eternal. But he's distinct from God because he was with God. John is taking us into the deep waters right, of the doctrine of the Trinity that though God alone created the universe that in some sense God himself was not alone because God, though he's one he eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. God wasn't lonely though he was the only one because the only one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Word, who we know as Jesus, later John says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. So He's talking about the Son of God who took on flesh, His name Jesus. That Word was with God in the beginning. He was God, meaning He's fully divine, and everything was made through this word, through the Son of God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The book of Hebrews says the same thing in chapter 1, when it says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. And Colossians 1 says about the Son, about Jesus, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. So God made everything. He made everything by His Word, by speaking. And He made everything through His Son, who He also calls His Word. God created all things through Him, and everything it says in Colossians 1 was created for him. Which takes us back to what we said earlier, because God's the creator of everything. That means He's the creator of us. That means we owe him something. We were made not only by Him, we were also made for Him. When we start to think about that, we realize that we're in a bit of trouble because we don't always live for Him. We don't always do what He said we should do, even though He's the Creator. He's the Lord. He makes the rules. He knows what's best for us. We act like we know what's best. We act like we don't want any rules. We go our own way, do our own thing. That's not good. The Bible calls that sin. But the good news the Bible gives us is that the one who is the Creator is also the Savior. In Hebrews 1, right after it says that God created the world through His Son. He goes on to say about the Son, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. The same one through whom God created the world, came down into the world, took on a body, took on flesh and blood, so that He could die as a sacrifice for sin. That's what most of the book of Hebrews is about from that point forward. Similarly, in Colossians, where we were just told that all things were created by Him and for Him, just a few verses earlier, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. The one we were created for is also the one who came down to save us. Now, how does that happen? How can we be reconciled to God when we haven't lived for Him like we should? If we go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says that, talking about when Jesus took on flesh, it says He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Everyone who receives him, everyone who turns to him, everyone who trusts in him, in other words, becomes a child of God. By, not by physical birth, but by supernatural birth. What Jesus calls in his conversation with Nicodemus, new birth or being born again. So there's good news for us, right? Because whether you're not a Christian and you're realizing there's a God who made me who I've not honored and I'm in trouble. Or whether you are a Christian and you're just being reminded, I don't always live for God like I should. I don't always put him first like I should. The good news is there is forgiveness in the creator who came down to his creation to be our savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, the crucified and risen one. If we turn from our sin, if we trust in Him, if we confess our sin to Him, the Bible says He will forgive us and that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, how big of a deal is this simple doctrine of creation. Again, we're not even talking about the age of the earth. We're not even talking about how to interpret the six days of creation and all those kinds of things. We're just focusing on the simple fact that God created the heavens and the earth and he made it by his word. How big a deal is that? It's a pretty big deal. It's a really big deal. And here's why it's a really big deal. That means... That Christians, everyone who believes Genesis 1-1, rejects materialism. Materialism is the belief that all that exists is the physical world. Material things. right? Not just like possessions, but the planets, the stars, the world. All that exists. There's nothing spiritual out there. It's just matter. That's materialism. Christians reject that. Because God is not a material thing. He's spirit. John 4 says that God is spirit. right? God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is not material. He created the material world, the material universe, physical things that we see and touch, but that's not all that there is because behind those physical things is a creator. It's a spiritual being. Right, The God of the Bible who spoke all these material things into existence. It also means that we don't believe in a chance chaotic beginning. Whether you want to call it the Big Bang Theory or some other version of events like that, we don't believe that the universe simply exploded and there it happened to be. By some random chance, some coincidental turn of events. We believe that in the beginning God who always existed wise intelligent, almighty created deliberately intentionally the heavens and the earth. And throughout Genesis 1 we see his wisdom on display as he he orders the universe, as he sets apart times and seasons and creates markers for them in the sky as he separates land from water and makes the earth habitable and puts different kinds of creatures in different parts of the planet. As he causes plants to come into existence that will then create seeds that will then create more of the same kind of plant. He created an orderly, wise, well-governed universe because he is wise. And he is governing it. But we also need to be honest about the fact that this is an article of faith. This is something we believe. And while we can make good arguments from it, both from science and from scripture, I would say, we can't prove it to anybody beyond doubt. I can't take anybody back to the moment when God created everything and show it to them. I can show them what the Bible says. I can show them evidence from science that this makes sense, but I can't prove it beyond the shadow of a doubt to somebody who doesn't want to believe it. I believe it. Christians believe it. This, again, is foundational to our faith. Hebrews 11, verse 3 says, By faith. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The fact that God created the universe is something we understand, Hebrews says, by faith. It's something we have come to believe because we believe God. And this is what God says about how it happened. Again, doesn't make you doesn't mean you can't make good arguments for It doesn't mean you can't try to persuade people. But ultimately, this is something you either believe or you don't believe. And finally, this matters for how we view the physical world, for how we view the creation. Over and over and over again in Genesis chapter 1, we're told not only that God spoke and it was so, But also that what God saw was good. He looked at what he made and he said it was good. And in the last verse of Genesis 1, verse 31, it says, It was very good. It was good, good. Really good. And because of that, though though that good creation has been broken and fractured and stained by sin, and that's all true, but creation has retained its original goodness, and that means we are to receive and steward creation as a good gift from God. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5. He says, everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. The creation is good. Food is good. Marriage is good. The world is good. It's broken. Right? It's been affected by sin and the fall. But it's good because it was made by God and God is good. And God wants you to receive what he made as something good because that's what he says about it. He says it's good. Now, here's what I want to leave you with. And this is really my heart behind this sermon. Uh, This week I I was looking for a quote about something else. And I stumbled on this passage that I had had read in a book uh, probably a year ago and didn't realize that this statement is exactly what I was thinking and trying to communicate uh, through this sermon, preaching about creation in this way. Here's what he says. He says, If more treatments of creation made the Apostles' Creed our emotional center of gravity, Perhaps our dialogue with other Christian views would be more irenic. He means more peaceable, more more friendly. And our engagement with non-Christian ideas simultaneously more incisive, meaning more focused on the real differences. In other words, what he's saying is if when we talk about creation, whether we're talking to Christians or non-Christians, if when we talk about creation, if our focus is not on, the, not on the details that are kind of on the outside, but if our focus is on the center, the main thing, that God is the maker of heaven and earth, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we focus on that, then maybe our, even our disagreements among other Christians will be more agreeable, because we recognize we agree on the most foundational things. And maybe when we're talking to unbelievers, who don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth, who believe something else about where everything else came from and why it's here and how we should live in it and those kinds of things, that if our focus is on the center, on Genesis 1-1, that then we will be able more quickly and more clearly to get to the real heart of our disagreements, even with unbelievers, about where the world came from, why it's here, and how we should live in it. What we want to do, in other words, is stand firm on the central truth of the doctrine of creation, which is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray.